Three C's in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Hello and welcome to Free Season Apart from Provision Advisors, where we give you insights and analysis on the day's hot topics and trends from a communications angle. Before Bashan finishes his intro, this is an ad in the editing process. In between the time we taped this podcast and the time we release it around 6 p.m. East Coast time on Tuesday, April 7th, we found out that Acting Secretary of the Navy, Thomas Modley, submitted and had his resignation accepted by Defense Secretary Mark Esper. As we taped this podcast, all three of us were under the assumption that that resignation was forthcoming. It doesn't change any of the important lessons that folks need to learn from the handling of the Theodore Roosevelt incident. It doesn't change the takeaways that we share over the next 30 minutes. Thanks. Enjoy the podcast. Now back to Bashan for the rest of the introduction. Folks, today we're going to take a look at what happened aboard the U.S. aircraft carrier Theodore Roosevelt and discuss what could have been handled better from the ship's captain to the assistant secretary of the Navy. There is much to discuss. Also, social media in the age of crisis, how best to communicate with your audience. We're going to take a look at some do's and don'ts. Finally, as we always do, we'll go around the table and forecast the next week ahead. As America continues to social distance, at what point will some folks tire of the status quo? So let's jump right in. Uh, Chris, we've each served in some capacity aboard a variety of ships, including aircraft carriers. Uh, what kind of status or respect can a ship's captain hold among their sailors? A ship's captain is the centerpiece of the crew's life. Um, if that captain is inspirational, if that captain is uh, motivational, likable, I mean, you know, think of all the words that end with A-B-L-E. Um, you know, your your life and daily morale on board a ship, particularly an aircraft carrier, centers around uh, the captain and his or her ability to lead that team. How the captain uh, carries on the day-to-day business, how the captain is treated by outside members uh, of the chain of command or members of the environment um, really does have a significant impact on the entire crew. A captain, as, as we saw in this case, uh, advocating for the health and welfare of their sailors um, on its face. Did you have an issue with that? I certainly did not have an issue and would expect nothing less from uh, the commanding officer of a ship, uh, particularly, again, uh, an aircraft carrier. Um, you know, it, when you get into the eaches of what went into the letter, what how the letter was distributed, the communication between the commanding officer and the strike group commander or who lives 50, 60 feet down the hall. There's certainly enough room to Monday morning quarterback, but I mean, in terms of communicating initially to the chain of command and then feeling the need to communicate more aggressively, I certainly get that. John, you were the public affairs officer aboard the George H.W. Uh, Bush. As a public affairs officer, what advice would you have given this captain? Um, I think I would have, well, it's tough because it it talks about the difficulty of being a public affairs officer on a carrier, which is you have so many bosses, you're, you're a PAO. So by the nature of your designator, you're really trying to curry favor with Chinfo, the head PAO. And 
although Chimpo doesn't write your fitness reports, you certainly want to look like a competent person in the eyes of public affairs leadership because it affects where you get detailed after your carrier tour. Um, and your carrier tour is usually right where you are in the zone, get looked at, and presumably make the next rank, which is 05, your carrier PAOs are 04. So um, you're working for Chinfo, you're working for the strike group commander, you're working for the ship's captain, you're trying to take care of a media department of 20 to 22 people. So you have to give advice based on all of those pushes and pulls um, and it's hard to really stand up straight and not bend and be malleable to the to the desires of a ship's captain or the desires of a strike group commander who's one star uh, to the desires of the community. So I, I lived through something very similar to this. It almost cost me my job on a carrier and every carrier PAO would tell you that if you haven't almost lost your job a couple of times and you're just not leaning forward far enough. I don't know how accurate that is, but I think I would have tried to to let him know that that anything that gets out there is going to get out there. You know, in this day and age, when I was a carrier PAO 10 years ago, it might have been a tiny bit different, but you can see the, the, the second and third order effects that took place after his letter. Those are things I think I would have tried to advise him about. It's hard to, it's hard to predict that. You know, you're not, you're not all knowing. Um, could, could, the PAO have predicted that there would be there would be a video cheering Captain Crozier as you went ashore. Could the PAO have predicted that the letter would have even cost Captain Crozier his job, and and then had that video of him going ashore and and really inspiring the ire of of Modley and the rest of the leadership? It's tough. I I think in short, I would have advised him to to write something that was a bit less emotional, a bit more all business and to follow the chain of command completely. But again, you're, an, you're a junior 04 as a PAO, Captain Crozier is a very powerful and, and, uh, and charismatic 06. I don't blame any PA staff for, for failing to advise him to do it that way. Right. Uh, speaking of, of, of PA staff, um, and you know, it's, you're sitting there watching things on social media, you know, as, as you mentioned, you know, just, uh, or Chris, I think you mentioned about Monday morning quarterbacking uh, this whole situation. Um, a lot, you, you, we're starting to see some, some of the Navy's PA professionals maybe catching a bad rap uh, in certain social media circles. Um, fair, unfair? Uh, what do you say? So I think in this case, it's probably unfair. I, I don't know the advice that um, the public affairs staff was, was giving. I have a sense. I mean, I suspect that, um, you know, we've talked about Admiral Brown on this show before. I suspect that Admiral Brown was explaining to the secretary and the CNO the value of getting this story off the front page um, and the value of really focusing on the problem at hand, which was taking care of the sailors on Roosevelt and the rest of the fleet, and then worrying about you know who did what when, uh, and then worrying about accountability. Um, I've said on other podcasts that I've had an opportunity to be on that um, you know there was plenty of time for accountability that the ship was at anchor in Guam. There was a, uh, an admiral on board, so somebody senior to the captain. There was an admiral in Guam. It had the attention of packed fleet. So there was no danger. There was no immediate need, in my opinion, to relieve Captain Crozier. 
Um, so they could have spent the next couple of weeks focusing on those sailors, which I think would have demonstrated a competence that the current handling of the situation has, has not demonstrated. So I, I don't think there's a need to blame uh, communicators. I mean, in this case, I think it, these were decisions made by the leaders. John, we, thanks, Chris. John, we saw um, last night an apology from the Assistant Secretary of the Navy to, to Captain Crozier and his family and his sailors. Uh, does this now uh, move off the front page? Is it going to go away? Acting Secretary Mobley was very, uh, very busy yesterday. Uh, a lot of statements, a lot of activity. And I think the more active you are, the more that it, that it uh, stirs the fire. And uh, his apology... Um, I just felt, you know, kept this going a little bit more and, and further showed the divide or the incompetence, really. And I mean, no disrespect to the secretary on this, that, you know, how do you go from such a viciously worded 1MC announcement to the crew that, that caused such a visceral reaction from the crew and everyone else, uh, where you're blaming the media, where you're you know, highlighting partisan divides of the media. It all sounded very Trump-like um, and not in a good way, uh, if there is a good way. Um, and, but then to follow it up with such a reversal with mea culpa, it just, it makes it look like there's just a vacuum of leadership at the very highest levels of the Navy. And, and that doesn't inspire confidence. It certainly doesn't help the crew who are in the hundreds now of, of infected personnel uh, with a very dangerous disease. It doesn't affect, it doesn't help Captain Crozier who's in quarantine and has the disease as well. So, you know, it almost makes you think if, if Crozier hadn't come down with it and if the, and if the audio hadn't have leaked, would you have apologized? No, I don't think you would have. So then the apology is only because you got caught. And then I don't believe the apology. If you if you issue the apology, um, you know, in, in without all of these other factors pushing you toward apologizing, uh, then then I understand it a little bit more. But I think that this was an apology geared based purely on the negative press coverage he got, and thus it doesn't look very sincere. Before you you wrap, I, I just would add one thing because I think that this is the most important lesson, whether it's for the Navy or for business or you know whomever. Sure. Um, and, and I think most communication professionals would agree, uh, and I and I think that most people that were not immediately involved would, you know, this was a multiple choice test at each of the waypoints along this journey. I think most people would probably get all the answers correct. You, you know, should you fire the guy immediately after, you know, yes or no, no. You know, should you belittle him? Yes or no, no. Should you go out to Guam and yell at the crew? No. Um, it, it is important to recognize the emotion that is resonant, not just in this crisis, but in any crisis, uh, the emotion of the audience, the emotion of those people involved, and so establishing uh, a rapport and a relationship, I and mean, we talk about relationships all the time, but establishing the relationship with the senior leader that you work for as a communicator is critical so that in times of emotion, you're a voice of reason and you're a trusted voice um, when decisions are being made so that the leader doesn't feel like they have to go their own route 
yes. and make decisions on their own. I mean, and what you saw from Secretary Modley is very much like a drowning person. He flailed, and the more he flailed, the worse he made his situation. Whereas, again, metaphorically, if he had just sort of um, stayed calm, uh, rolled over on his back or his stomach and floated, like the situation would have stabilized and eventually he would have been fine. I hope that's not too much for the for the group, but I think you get what I'm saying. I mean, no, certainly. all of the all of the things that he tried to do, the David Ignatius follow-up, the letter um, poking Tweed Roosevelt in the eye, the going out to the ship, the ham-fisted apology um, preceded by the um, you know, almost argumentative statement about mm -hmm. why he went. I mean, all of that just makes it worse. And so as a communicator, you know, one, have that relationship. Two, make sure your boss understands that flailing and doing more does not necessarily make the situation better. I, uh, I can't emphasize that enough, Chris. Thank you for saying it. it that trusted relationship and, and actually how long it takes to develop that uh, trusted relationship with your leadership. One of the, uh, I would say one of the best feelings that I had underway or whatever command I was at was when the CEO or the XO would say, hey, PAO, come here, I need to talk to you. And, and just knowing that they knew to come to the public affairs officer for that advice, uh, for, you know, just for that, that trusted conversation. Um, and, and you can see here where we need more of it. So um, yeah, definitely. Um, some key words to live by there. Thank you, Chris. Uh, gentlemen, we're going to switch gears here just a little bit. Uh, last week, we talked about how, how businesses, organizations um, are talking to their employees in the midst of the coronavirus, how we're uh, communicating uh, with them from a, you know, from a, a health standpoint, um, the, the importance of, uh, of taking care of employees. This week, we just want to talk a little bit about how, um, how organizations, how businesses, companies are talking on social media uh, and more to their, to their audiences, to the, um, to the people who are potentially going to be buying their products or following, uh, you know, following their lead out there as they, as they assist um, with the coronavirus. Um, we're starting to see how across social media platforms, whether it's TikTok, whether it's uh, Twitter, Facebook, what have you, um, how people with platforms, uh, how companies are changing the way uh, they they uh, interact, how they communicate with regard to the virus itself. Um, some some of it may come across as, um, you know, maybe uh, a little, I don't know if you want to call it disrespectful, but people trying to you know tweak themselves uh, to seem maybe a little bit more relevant, a little bit more important in the eyes of this uh, of this pandemic. Uh, other people coming up with creative ways to to attract more attention uh, to their platform. So, just really quick, want to sort of go around, you know, look at what you've seen uh, as you've have you seen as you've uh, been traveling on social media, or even as we go about to uh, essential places like uh, grocery stores and such, and see the signs that people are communicating uh, with their audience. Are there things out there that stick out to you, uh, John? I'm going to go to you first um, as as you've gone about uh, your days here and you know, self-isolation. Uh, have you seen things that maybe, you know, raise the hair on the back of your neck or some things that you actually looked at and said, hey, you know, that's a good way uh, for this company to draw attention uh, to what they're doing. Anything stick out to you? Uh, thanks, Bash. So what I've been looking at, and, and I'll focus on one particular uh, commercial uh, with the NFL. I, I like to talk about sports and sports communications on this pod and, and amongst the three of us. 
uh, I really believe the NFL has done a very good job as, as their season is hanging in the balance. Certainly looks like Major League Baseball uh, might, might miss the boat on this or maybe only play a half season. We all know that spring sports for all of the NCAA have gone away um, and, and really robbed a lot of people of, of the things that they held precious at this time of year, particularly me as a sports fan. Uh, in the last two weeks, we've gone through Orioles opening day with no Orioles opening day. You know, the rite of passage for spring with, uh, with baseball coming back and there's no baseball. This week was supposed to be Masters week. Um, the, the Masters was going to start uh, Thursday. Um, and it's always a very important event for sports fans and for CBS as a company uh, to make money off of advertising. And that's not there. And I think NF the NFL is, is next up in the hopper for do we play this season, do we not? Is it modified, is it not? They're, they're holding the draft here in a couple of weeks uh, via Zoom or via virtual uh, right. technology. Uh, but they came out with a commercial a couple of days ago that starts with Tony Gonzalez, the Hall of Fame tight end, uh, really giving a heartfelt um, stay-at-home message. And then it went around to a bunch of different stars of the NFL. And I really have to tip my cap to the NFL for a, for a really good campaign to help people put it in perspective, see their favorite players and their stars out there advocating for for safe behavior during the quarantines. Um, and that we're all in it together message, I think not only assuages a lot of fears out there, but it, it further enhances or builds the NFL's brand as, as being people who think about more than just the sport and the revenue generated by the sport itself. Uh, that was the one thing that I really, that I really tracked a lot, uh, this particular week. And, and we'll see how, we'll see how other, uh, uh, sports leagues follow suit, uh, going forward. Chris, over to you. Is anything standing out, uh, something that you've seen that has um, maybe caught your attention, uh, good or bad? I passed along a tweet that I saw on Saturday from Secretary Mark Esper, the Defense Secretary. It was pictures of Air Force aircraft, Navy submarines, and nuclear weapons. And it said, one of our top priorities is recapitalizing the nation's nuclear forces, something along those lines. Um, and I thought, you know, boy, what a what an ill-timed um, message to share with the audience. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Saturday in, in the midst of, hey, we're beginning the world's worst week, potentially. I mean, things are still, we're still very much cresting the top of the curve in New York and elsewhere in the country. Right. Is that really the message that you want to put out? Especially as people are talking about, um, you know, what the... Uh, what the military could and should be doing in order to help those suffering from the coronavirus. And so, I mean, I think to be objective, I think if you're on, if you're on Secretary Esper's staff, the pro for doing that is to remind people that there are other important national military priorities within a crisis. Um, and I think certainly the con is, um, I mean, you appear tone deaf uh, and you appear aloof when perhaps that your fellow citizens need you the most. So I think as you zoom out from that example, um, I would encourage people to really think about their own businesses, think about even their own personal brand and where and when they decide to engage. 
uh, we shared in our clips last week um, an Atlantic article that talked about it's okay to have humor in this time. I mean, there, there are, um, in the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of any tragedy, there are opportunities for humor. In fact, there are probably more opportunities and more need than in a normal day. So it's okay to experience uh, laughter and share laughter and, you, you know, pass along funny musings. Um, you, you just want to do it in a way that is, uh, is not overly cute and in a way that it does not cheapen either the brand you're selling or for yourself, the, the brand that you're trying to you're trying to live. Um, there's a lot of good articles out there. Uh, we'll share one this week from PR News that has seven or eight of the top digital um, companies, digital strategists, and you know their recommendations. Everything from the show must go on to mm -hmm. you know going and looking at all the advertising and digital media campaigns that you have that you may have lost track of. To be quite honest, depending on the size of the company and making sure that they still fit in. Um, but just like we talked about in the first segment, you don't want your digital media or social media behavior to turn into an unforced error. So where John talked about an opportunity for a brand in sports, the NFL and others to um, make people feel good, to reinforce what is a core value or a core function that they provide in society. You don't want to be on the flip side of that coin and do real damage, um, especially as people are on edge and sensitive. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I, watching who decides to, um, to attack, or I shouldn't say attack, but um, adjust uh, is a better word, uh, adjust the way that they communicate, uh, even with Zoom, you know, here we are, we're, you know, we've been using Zoom uh, to, to record this podcast uh, for several months now, uh, if not longer. And, you know, all of a sudden, Zoom in the past three weeks to a month, has taken off. It's like in every household with internet now, uh, people are, are using Zoom uh, for, for meetings and uh, just to com communicate with family members. Um, and so uh, it's interesting to see how, how Zoom is, is reaching out or adjusting the way in which, um, you know, it's, it's advertising or, or, or trying to meet people where they are uh, to make it, you know, more easily accessible for them. Um, when you look at these DJ parties that seem to have popped up out of nowhere. Um, I know I wasn't paying attention to them uh, before this virus, but now anyone with um, two turntables and a microphone <laughs> seems to be advertising a DJ party that they're having at least once a day. Um, and, and, and then there's advertising opportunities that, that come out of that. So definitely um, interesting to watch. Uh, we will continue to, um, you know, to, uh, study and, and see how, because th that's this, you know, some of the, the new normals or the, uh, the changes that are going to come from, uh, from this pandemic, uh, how we communicate with one another, how we reach out uh, to, our, to our various audiences via social media. Uh, Chris, you're right. When you talk about the unforced errors, I think with people self-isolating, sitting at home, maybe, you know, um, getting bored with what they're doing, uh, you can have an instance where um, you know, all it takes is a um, couple of seconds of making a bad decision uh, that can really uh, spiral out of control. Uh, if you have a, a, you know, a platform that's singular or uh, advocating on behalf of a company, uh, we've, we've seen it. Uh, we've seen it outside of the virus. So now, um, you know, those, those bookends sort of close in on us. So uh, definitely something to watch out for. Um, Gentlemen, each week we, we sort of look at where we are, um, how we're doing from a personal standpoint, how we're doing from a professional standpoint, 
Uh, we're all going through this pandemic together. Um, we kind of want to, you know, go around the table. Uh, we always like to check in, see how everyone's family is, uh, is doing, uh, but also in terms of uh, just looking out uh, into the future here as we approach this next week and we're all paying attention to what, you know, the professionals are saying about where it's going to hit or how numbers are going to hit a little bit harder across the country. Uh, John, I'll throw to you first. Uh, what are you looking at uh, as, as we venture into another week here of, uh, of the coronavirus? Yeah, thanks, Bash. I'm going to be looking at, and I'm going to try to write a blog for the uh, ProVision website, so keep an eye on that, all of you hundreds upon thousands of listeners out there. The, um, the continued presence of Governor Hogan in Maryland, and, and I know that I'm sounding like a sick man here for the governor, but I've, I've watched with a lot of interest how well Governor Hogan has done uh, in communicating to the people of Maryland. And, and then I compare and contrast that to the uh, White House briefings that are taking place, uh, to the other dialogues out there with other governors that have been a bit more testy with the president and the administration. You know, Cuomo in New York, Inslee in Washington. Uh, the, the reaching across the aisle that Governor Hogan is doing, he, he is the leader of all of the nation's governors um, and, uh, and takes that leadership uh, distinction very seriously, um, you know, being the, the president of the Council of Governors. So he, you know, reached out across the aisle last week with Gretchen Whitmer, the, the Democratic governor of the state of Michigan, to, uh, to really communicate a, a message of togetherness and a message of unity in the idea that they need help from the federal government. They need information. They need a, a national response, not these states' rights quibbles and battles, you know, the state of Georgia making people shelter in place, but then also allowing beaches to be open. Um, just the, the lack of, of cohesion uh, that's out there that, that seems to be stirred by uh, an administration and a White House that, that, likes, the, um, that, that likes the conflict. So I'm going to look on the horizon and see how Governor Hogan continues to lead, continues to shape the message of the numbers now appear to be falling a little bit in Maryland. They were going meteorically up over the last five days, and, and it almost looks like the stay-at-home order has brought a, a beginning of the flattening. I'm not going to say flattening yet, of the curve. So that, that's what I'm looking for. And, and then personally, I'm just looking to, to continue to, to keep it all in perspective. Uh, I know last week's pod was a bit morose. You know, we, I think we were just hitting the seriousness of it all. I wasn't feeling well personally, uh, but uh, I'm feeling much better now. Uh, and, and I'm doing a nightly Zoom uh, discussion with a lot of my college classmates from Villanova. And I know you were talking about it a little bit before, Bashan, but seeing some faces that I haven't seen in 25 years, um, it's almost like the, it's almost like Facebook, you know, when Facebook first came to be, it's, <laughs> it's like this newness and, right. and, and it gives you something to look forward to. And it's really helped me. Um, okay. I go to bed with a bit of a smile on my face every night. So that's Good. on my horizon. How about you guys? Good. Chris, what do you got? Yeah. Like John, um, I want to keep an eye on, you know, where we are curve wise and what that will mean for 
people in New York uh, first, and then uh, the District Maryland and Virginia area where we live to see if, uh, as John said, the social distancing has uh, has made the difference that we all hope that it has. And then will pressure mount and will we feel compelled to break the shelter in place sooner than maybe we should? As there is progress, will public sentiment encourage them to perhaps loosen quicker than they should. So I think this is going to be an important week, both in terms of taking care of the uh, sick and those that are near death and hopefully um, saving as many individuals as we can. It'll not only be important for healthcare, but it'll be important for prevention. And then I think we'll quickly see in the next week or two, um, you know, what the choices that the governors will have to make in terms of what what now? I mean, do you hold the line and take a very conservative approach and extend the social distancing maybe longer than you originally thought you should based on data and based on the calendar? Or are folks quick to, to loosen up um, and run the risk of either a flare-up uh, or um, kind of a re- um, I guess, a, a protracted flattening instead of a, a downturn in, in the curve. I mean, that, that's the challenge is that as a society, we really haven't been through something like this uh, where it affects every part of our life. So we don't know a lot about this disease. We don't know a lot about how long we'll have to be in isolation. And then we don't know, because of those two things, we don't know how quickly we can come out of it uh, and not affect the progress that we've made. So that's what, what I'll be watching here at the Cervello House. Um, my son continues his, um, his path towards professional esports dominance. Uh, <laughs> I do not expect him to ever go back to school. I think he will turn pro <laughs> when all this is over. Um, and if my daughter doesn't climb the walls by the time the week is over, uh, I'll, I'll be very surprised. But uh, other than that, uh, we are... Uh, we're holding tight here in, uh, in Alexandria. Well, uh, thank you. And I, and I completely understand where you're coming there, coming from uh, in terms of a 13 year old wanting to climb the walls. So, um, yeah, <laughs> completely agree. Uh, Chris, uh, to your point, uh, you were making a point about, um, folks not necessarily adhering to the message of self-isolation and, and that concerns me. Um, the weather is starting to turn here in the area. Uh, just this past Sunday, um, I was out in my driveway uh, washing cars as I saw people uh, in my neighborhood you know, taking out to, to walking, uh, a lot more people riding bikes. Uh, I'm concerned, as I saw pictures from uh, the wharf, I don't know if any of you saw that, the infamous wharf here in Southeast D.C., famous fish market, and people just acting as if nothing is is going on um so that that remains uh, top of mind for me i really want people to understand the seriousness uh, of, of what's going on here look at these numbers uh, please listen to public officials public health officials uh, when they talk about the measures you need to take uh, to keep yourself safe keep your family safe um, I, I i want people um you know to to take this to heart uh, because I, I mean, people are losing their lives uh, and it's, and it's, it's not good. So 
Uh, I just want people to, to be safe, be safe. That, that, that's all. I, I can't stress it enough. Um, gentlemen, I want to thank you for, for joining in today on this discussion. Um, it's, it's something I look forward to, and I hope that people are gaining a little bit uh, of, of information, valuable information from what we're discussing here, if even just the discussion point, you know, whether at work or at home, wherever you are right now listening. So folks, we want to thank you for taking time to listen uh, to three C's. Uh, we appreciate you joining in on the conversation. Uh, as always, if you're looking for more information on what we discussed here today, uh, as your company or organization considers how to, how to navigate communicating around this virus, this pandemic, please feel free to reach out to us on our website. That's provisionadvisors.net, provisionadvisors.net. Uh, in the meantime, folks, we want you to be mindful, be healthy, and be safe. Thank you for listening to 3Cs in a Pod. Have a great week.